he's hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, yeah. Week number 13. Week 13. Are you kidding me? Of the National Football League gets underway in a matter of moments. Dallas and Seattle kick it off. Of course, Jacksonville and Cincinnati will end week 13 on Monday Night Football. And with that, a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92. Point five FM with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. We are glad you are with us, Dallas and Seattle. Pretty good one in the NFC tonight. Of course, I got Dak Prescott. It's it's getting down to crunch time in fantasy football, ladies and gentlemen. It is getting serious in the 10-10 XL League, too, let me tell you. I got a huge one against Hopkins this week, and I got Dak Prescott as my quarterback tonight. I need some points. I need a reenactment of Thanksgiving Day by Dak Prescott, so we will certainly keep you updated as that game goes on. We got an absolutely loaded show, as you would expect this time of year. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy will join us in less than 20 minutes. We'll talk a little Monday night football with Leon, talk about the Jaguars' two-game winning streak heading in to Monday night. We will also go up to Cincinnati later on in the program. My guy up in Cincinnati Look, you do this long enough, you got guys in every NFL market. My guy up in Cincy is Jay Morrison. When it comes to the Bengals, he's the guy I have on. He's covered the Bengals for years. He's now with Pro Football Network and the PFN Bengals podcast. We'll get the Cincinnati side of this game from Jay Morrison coming up. And five area high school football teams are playing state semifinal games tomorrow night in their given classification the game you will hear on 10 10 a.m tomorrow night the Bulls Bulldogs travel to Miami to play not just one of the best teams in the state no they play Miami Norland who is one of the top I believe 15 teams in America tall ask for the Bulls Bulldogs but Matthew Toblin the head coach Bulls is certainly not afraid of the challenge and he will join us coming up later on this evening on Hacker After Dark. So as you can tell, we're loaded. We're glad you're with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. 30 years. 30 years, man. It's a long time. I was 10 years old. I had just turned 10 years old, still living in Tallahassee, lived in Tallahassee until my mother got transferred over here with Barnett Bank when I was just before my 12th birthday. And the news came out that the city of Jacksonville was being awarded the 30th NFL franchise. Oh, man. Even though I was only 10 years old, even though I was what? 
I think in fourth grade at the time. That was unbelievable. My dad had been a diehard, and I do mean diehard, Washington Redskin fan. They were still the Redskins back in 1993. And that's probably the direction I would have gone, truthfully. But then the Jaguars were born. And then I was all Jaguars all the time. I remember my mother put the initial season ticket deposit down on season tickets. We didn't know we were going to come to Jacksonville in a move because of her job. We were going to make the trip from Tallahassee to Jacksonville and back every Sunday. I mean, we were into it, man. We were pumped. Then the Jaguar Inside Report newsletter came out. I know you longtime Jaguar fans remember that one with Vic Ketchman of Jaguar Inside Report. I think I got a collection of those player posters that they sent in every edition of the Jaguar Inside Report, and it was awesome, man. It was great. And then the season got here, and I actually moved to Jacksonville in June of 95. It was crazy the way it worked out. Literally a month before the Hall of Fame game is when my mom got transferred from Tallahassee to Jacksonville. So as an 11-year-old boy, I moved to Jacksonville 35, 40 days before the Jaguars played their first ever game up in Canton, Ohio at the Hall of Fame game. And I've been hooked ever since, obviously. Been a diehard Jaguar fan. Got lucky enough to be an intern with Dempsey at 930. Then went over to the toaster with Dempsey to join Tom McManus on the Rumble. And now here we are at 1010, the home of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we have been for the last decade. It has been a crazy ride. I'm the kind of guy that really doesn't remember Jacksonville prior to the Jaguars. Uh, I never, I didn't live here prior to the Jaguars, and the only time I came over here was to visit family and then go home. So Jacksonville, to me, has always had the Jaguars. So I think every day, or every year on November 30th, on this special day, we need to say a gigantic thank you to Wayne Weaver and Dolores Weaver, the Weaver family, for putting their hope and their resources in bringing a team here, touchdown Jacksonville and everything that encompassed. And obviously there have been down years, right? The team has been awful more times than it's been good, and I fully understand that, and I complain about them and did complain about them very passionately, as I'm sure you know, but I much rather complain about our awful football team, and some of these years have been awful, than not have a football team to complain about. November 30th is always a special day. September 3rd, is always a special day. That was the first ever regular season game. Jaguars lost that game 10-3 to the Houston Oilers. Denmark, you know who sang the national anthem for the first ever Jaguar regular season game? No idea. Boys to Men was getting after it. Now, I know you're a youngster, but does Boys to Men do anything for you? Negative. You never Have you ever heard of Boys to Men? I've heard of them. Okay, cool. I was about to say, if you haven't heard of them, my gracious sakes. I don't necessarily uh, understand, you know, I get why you would not know any of their music. But, yeah, Boys to Men was out here getting after it. Jaguars lost that game 10-3, and it's been a ride ever since, man. 96 AFC Championship game, making the playoffs, 97, 98, 99. Then the bottom falling out, 
You don't get back in the playoffs till 05. You return to the playoffs in 07, and then the bottom really fell out. You don't sniff the playoffs again till 2017, and then we went through the awfulness of the last years of Doug Marone, the rock bottom part of this franchise with Urban Meyer, and now we have climbed our way up on the shoulders of Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence and everything they have done to enable Jacksonville to get back to the forefront of the NFL. And it's fitting today is the 30-year birthday anniversary of the NFL announcing Jacksonville as its 30th team as the Jaguars return to Monday night football for the first time in 12 years on Monday when Cincinnati rolls in. So happy birthday, Jaguar fans. Here's to 30 more years that are a lot more positive, a lot more wins than maybe what we've experienced in the last three decades. That's one of the big deals of the night. The other one is in the world of college football. Graham Mertz announced earlier this afternoon that he is indeed returning to the University of Florida for his final year of collegiate eligibility. That's good. Good. I'm happy about that. I had no problem with Graham Mertz for a large portion of the year. I know when Graham Mertz came to Gainesville, people were like, why? This guy stinks. Wisconsin didn't want him anymore. Well, whatever happened in Madison, Wisconsin, that's not my problem. That's not your problem. What I know is what Graham Mertz has done in Gainesville. And what Graham Mertz did in Gainesville was throw 20 touchdowns to, what, three picks? He was good. Now, his defense couldn't stop anybody. Uh, The defense couldn't stop Denmark and I on offense. So what he did is being overshadowed with the wins and the losses and the fact that, you know, they lost a lot more than they won, obviously, with Mertz at quarterback. But at the end of the day, the Gators are better off now with Graham Mertz back in 2024 than they would be if he would have left. You still anticipate five-star quarterback DJ Lagway coming in. That'll be a nice little bridge to have Graham Mertz there. Maybe you play Lagway sparingly. But there is no way, there is absolutely no way that you could have had a true freshman in Lagway navigate that schedule next year for Florida. 11 Power 5 teams, including UCF, Miami, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, um, who else is on? Texas. Uh, Texas A&M, I believe, is on there. Ole Miss, I believe, is on there. It is a crazy schedule for the Gators. And the fact that Graham Mertz is back is certainly good news. Now to the teams that are actually playing for something still here in 2023. It begins tomorrow night, Pac-12 Championship, Washington and Oregon. We'll certainly keep you updated on that game during our show tomorrow evening. And then it goes in to Saturday with the Big Ten Championship, the ACC Championship, and of course the SEC Championship. And I guess don't forget Texas, right, in the Big 12 Championship. We will know by the end of Saturday night more than likely how the committee will look at things, and we will know the four playoff teams. The question is, can Florida State win another one with Tate Rodemaker? Can they beat Louisville, and will that be enough to get them into the playoff? I believe it should be enough. Will it be enough? We'll have to wait and see how everything else plays out across the country. But enjoy this Saturday, because after this Saturday, of course, next year with the 12-team playoff, championship Saturday will not mean as much 
we wouldn't have any chaos next year because Texas and Alabama and Georgia and Florida State and Oregon and Washington and, and Michigan and all these teams would already be in. They would already be in the playoff. They would be fighting for seeding, but they would be in. They're not necessarily in all of them right now, which should make tomorrow night and into Saturday a lot of fun to watch if you are a college football fan. More on that in just a little bit. But let's get back to the Jaguars. Monday night football, Cincinnati rolls in. Leon Searcy played in 12 Monday night football games during his career, including some right here as a Jacksonville Jaguar. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark, and he joins us next. It is a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida, with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. And back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Bengals, Monday night as Monday night football returns to Jacksonville for the first time in 12 years. Let's talk to a man that knows all about Monday night football down here in Duval County. He played many years in the National Football League. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark, my friend Leon Searcy. Leon, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good, bro. Leon, all right, so 8-3. and three. We've had a couple of days to digest that Texans game. Boy, what a game, what an ending, and what a win for the Jaguars last Sunday. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, the Jaguar team came out to play. It was a business trip. It was an opportunity to take advantage of the uh, – AFC take take advantage of the AFC South. Uh, you're playing a good young Texans team that's feeling themselves. You know, CJ Strauss having an outstanding season. Uh, Demarco Ryan is probably one of the leading candidates for Coach of the Year. You know, beginning of the season, you didn't think much about this team. You thought this team was going to struggle a little bit. You thought that I thought, and a lot of people thought that the Jaguars was going to be just going to cakewalk through the division, but. I'm glad the Texans are good. I'm, I'm glad the, the Texans are, you know, round the hills with the Jaguars because it, it keeps the, the Jaguars uh, in line, you know, keeps them focused, you know, because every game is a playoff game, essentially, when you get a team that's right behind you. So it was good to see the Jaguars come out uh, this past Sunday on the road where they're 6-0. That just doesn't happen, Hack. I just want to let you know that right now. I've been in the league a long time, 11 years in the league. You just don't go 6-0 and on the road. So to go six and zero to beat a, a good Texan team uh, by a field goal uh, is a hell of an accomplishment. You know, Leon, speak to that because I know you brought that up on the fifth quarter. Now, technically, they're only given credit for five because I guess the Atlanta game at Wembley Stadium was a quote home game. But let's be real; they won two games in London. They've won games mm-hmm. at Indianapolis. They won a game at New Orleans, at Pittsburgh, and at Houston. These are not easy places to win. I mean, New Orleans on a Thursday night, Indianapolis opening day, Pittsburgh in bad weather, and Houston when that crowd was unbelievably jacked and they're in the battle red, and yet Jacksonville's won every single one of them. Well, heck, you know, listen, I played in the long for a long time. Essentially, when you go into a season and you look at the schedule, you say to yourself, you know what, let's try to go undefeated at home. And then let's split the away games. If you go undefeated at home, essentially, and you split the away games, that's more than likely it's going to get you in the playoffs. The Jaguars have done their absolute reverse. Right now, they're undefeated on the road, and I think they're like two and three at home. 
So, I mean, it's a credit to, you know, them them taking a business approach when they're on the road because there's a lot of distractions out there, you know, family, going out here, going out there, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the guys seem to be locked in on the road. You know, I think that camaraderie, I think I'm not, I, I'm not sure how they deal with the home games. I think some of the guys are allowed to go home. They all, they, you know, back in the day, we all stayed in hotels. There was a little bit more camaraderie. But on the road, you have no choice. On the road, you're in that hotel. You're amongst your teammates. You're watching film. You, you, you're game planning, all that kind of stuff. And the Jaguars just seem to be clicking on the road. It, you know, it's that us against the world mentality that they're taking. And, it, and it essentially, you know, it's, it's very refreshing to see. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy here with us on Hacker After Dark. Leon, you said it on the fifth quarter, the night of that loss. I think we all said it at some point. The Jaguars' season was going to go one of two ways after San Francisco destroyed them. They were going to learn and grow from it, or they were going to go into a tailspin. And you had two huge division games coming after that. And they have performed beautifully in wins over the Titans and the Texans. Kudos to the leadership, right, for not letting that San Francisco loss compound things. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, the sky was falling, you know. Um, all wasn't well in Hoosville here in Jacksonville. Everybody was uh, down on the Jaguars because, you know, they they had another opportunity to showcase what they could do amongst the elites. The last opportunity, I would say, was against Kansas City. And they laid an egg in the game against 49ers. They laid an egg. But that's a tribute, you know, them bouncing back. You know, I said there's either two, two or th- one or two things that was going to happen. They're going to learn from it or they're going to let it linger. They, they, it looks like they learn from it. And that's a credit to the coaching staff. The coaching staff after that 49er game had to, you know, grab grab the team by the, you know, the belt strap and say, hey, listen, this is not who we are. Because I've been in those film rooms. I, I've been in, I, listen, I played in the game when we lost 50 to 10 against the, the Vikings on the road. And the coaching staff had to pull us by the belt strap and say, listen, watch the film. We're going to make the corrections. We're going to be, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be critical. You got to take this punishment and then let's move on to the next game. And I think that the coaching staff is as much as the players should be accredited for what they did, because now you watch this team, this team's looks nothing like they did against the 49ers. So, I mean, that's accredited not only to the leadership in that locker room, but to that coaching staff by getting these guys rally, rallying the troops, watching the film and saying to themselves, Hey, listen, this is not who we are. Let's go out here and showcase what we really are. And I think for the last couple of weeks, the Jaguars have done that. Leon, the win did not come without a price. Cam Robinson's going to be out for at least the next four games. He was put on the short-term IR with what appeared to be a, a knee issue. I guess it's a good thing it does not appear to be season-ending, so we'll see what happens. I guess he's eligible to come back December 31st against Carolina. In the meantime, Walker Little goes to left tackle, and Ezra Cleveland goes to left guard. I remember at the trade deadline, Leon, a lot of people were scratching their head why would the Jaguars, why would GM Trent Baalke bring in an O-lineman? Boy, it looks like a master class move right now. It does. You know, if I'm walking a little, I'm like Dorothy clicking my heels. There's no place like home. He's a left tackle, all right? He's an absolute left tackle. And the, the experiment, you know, putting him at left guard, he struggled the first game, but he played well the second game. And uh, now he's at his, uh, he's at home at the left tackle position. And Ezra Cleveland, I mean, listen, the one thing that I, I when I, going through my notes, uh, when they made the trade for him from Minnesota is that he's nasty. He has a little mean streak about him, and I love that about any offensive lineman. And he has experience. He has 42 games at the left guard position. And I just feel comfortable 
not only as a former player, but as a former coach, I just feel more comfortable with guys that have that experience at left guard. You know, I mean, Walker Little was walking into a tailspin when he came in against those 49ers playing that left guard position because they had never played it before. Just because he's big and he's physical and athletic doesn't mean that he could play the, play the position well. But then the next week he played okay. It's sad to hear about Cam. Cam was having a good season. He was solid at the left tackle position. And I've been in his situation before where you have these nagging injuries that just come keep coming. And then when you hurt yourself again, uh, you know, things go in your mind like this might be it for you. The career is over. You know, it's good that it wasn't it wasn't season ending to where he can come back and maybe possibly play in the playoffs. So I'm happy for that, that, you know, it wasn't a season any injury. It's just something that they just want to maintenance right now and then hopefully have him back for the playoffs. But I like what I saw in Walker Little and Ezra Cleveland uh, in the time that they were together in the game against the Texans. They, they, they seem to be a good fit. A couple of more for former Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. Leon, I want to get to Cincinnati in a moment. Before we get there, the last two games for Trevor Lawrence, over 620 yards passing, six total touchdowns, three through the air. He's actually rushed for three as well. Complete coincidence that the offense is flourishing now that Zay Jones is back. I mean, Jones doesn't put up great numbers, but it appears to me, Leon, that Jones's, I guess, presence out there is opening things up for Ridley Kirk and Ingram. He does. He brings good energy. He absolutely he, – I mean, he's a deep threat. I mean, that ball – I mean, he, I mean, he was a toe-tap away from catching an amazing ball off on the sideline. So, I mean, he's a deep threat. And when you got Ridley on the other side, you mean, you don't know where to roll the coverage. you got to play man on, on either one or on one side or the other side of the field, which gives opportunities for other guys in the middle. You know, Evan Ingram, Christian Kurt to catch balls in the middle, even uh, Travis Etienne coming out the backfield. You know, some of those checkdowns. I mean, he's going to have those abilities to catch the ball, in, in, you know, in, in between the hashes. So, yeah, you know, uh, it, it's no surprise. I mean, Trevor's been having an outstanding uh, uh, two games as well. You know, uh, I, I think that 49er game uh, probably had him reevaluate himself because, I mean, he played a terrible game. The whole team did, but him especially, you know, holding on to the ball, not, you know, always looking for that third and fourth level throw instead of the first and second level throw. Now that you see him in these last two weeks, I mean, I mean, he's going through his progression he's, and he has time to make those third and fourth level throws because offensive line has given him, given him a lot of time as far as protection goes. So, and he's been deadly accurate. He's been deadly accurate with the ball. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see Trevor. You know, we he's got a little momentum right now. You know, he's got a, not a little. He's got a lot of momentum right now. And I always say that uh, in, after Thanksgiving, you need to be playing your best football because, I mean, down the stretch, I mean, that's where you're going to determine, you know, what teams are contenders and what teams are pretenders. Yeah, just to give some uh, clarity on that, this was the week last year the Sunday, the 10 days after Thanksgiving, the second Sunday after Thanksgiving that the Jaguars went in to Tennessee and won. So the winning streak for the Jaguars started this week, last season. So they started playing their best last year. Hopefully that comes to fruition again this year. Quickly, Leon, Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker, man. How good are they playing right now? They're playing really good. They're playing really good. You know, I mean, Josh Allen is tallying up the sacks. Uh, but Trayvon Walker is getting he's getting a lot of pressure. Um and he's coming up the field. Um, um he's he's gotten better. 
Now the sack total may not say that, but I mean, if you watch him with the pressures and his get off and get and beating the offensive lineman off the ball, if you watch him on some of his twist games, I mean, he's getting around the corners and putting pressure on the quarterback. I mean, they they they're, they're getting home a lot more frequently than they did early on in the season. And I don't know what it is or what they're eating or what they're drinking, but I hope they continue it because it's been very refreshing to see those two guys uh, tally off on uh, opposing offensive line. Final moments here with Leon Searcy. Leon, Monday Night Football returns for the first time in 12 years. You played a ton of Monday Night Football games during your career. We heard Josh Allen in the postgame locker room on Sunday say, man, he's never played on Monday Night Football. Trevor's never. There's a lot of guys that have never played on Monday Night Football. What's that experience going to be like? And do you have to kind of control yourself so you don't make it too big come Monday? No, I mean, it is a big deal. It's a big deal. I mean, I played 12 years, 11 years in the league, and I played 12 Monday Night Footballs. Uh, with the Steelers and the Jaguars, and I always loved it because you're center stage. Nobody else is. Nobody else is on. I mean, you, you're you're the you're, you're the live performance. I mean, you're the Rolling Stones, and and and, uh, and you you got a bunch of Mick Jaggers. Uh, that that's what it is. You're, you're center stage, front and center, in front of all your family and friends. And I always wanted, I always wanted to perform well on Monday Night Football. So I mean, yeah, it's it's good to be excited about it. I mean, this is an opportunity that Jaguars uh, has, what, over a decade, 12 years? They haven't been in Monday Night Football. Yeah, 2011 so. was the last time. But, but, but you know, because of the Jaguars' success, mainly from last year, the run they made and the win, the win they had against the Chargers is, is why they're back on Monday Night Football because essentially they are looking at this team as, as, as star-studded and then Monday Night Football has given them that opportunity to showcase their talent. So it's okay to get excited about it. Um, you know, you don't want to toot your horn too early. Um, you just you just need to stay focused and, and realize, you know, you, I'm not going to say it's just a game because it's more than just a game because it's Monday Night Football because uh, uh, everybody's going to be watching. But if this, if this Jaguars team uh, continues down this road, and the success that they're having, uh, they're going to have a lot more Monday nights to come in the near future. Leon, leave us with this. No Joe Burrow, but the Bengals still have a lot of talent, man. They're desperate. they got to win. They're 5-6. and six. They're hanging on to playoff hopes by a thread. Jaguars got to be careful here, right, not to overlook these guys. No, you, you can't overlook them. They still have, they have too much amazing talent, you know, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you know uh, – you, you've got Chase, you got Jamarcus Chase, you got T. Higgins, you got Mixon. Um, they got a decent offensive line. Now they, the quarterbacks are back up, but you know, uh, I'm sure that they offensively they're going to put him in a position to where he's going to have success, and that may be uh, a lot of play action, uh, running the ball. Um, I, I just think it's things that um, that's going to play uh, to his strengths. And what the Jaguars have to do is they have to get after them. They have to get after them early. You know what I mean? They can't give – you don't want to make this a fourth quarter game. You don't want to give this team any hope. You know, right now Joe Burrow is not in the lineup. And um, you essentially want to remind them of that, especially when it comes to the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball because on the offensive side of the ball, you want to put up points quickly. I mean, if this team can go up 14 points, 17 points, 10 points early on in the first half, and then play solid defense and, you know, force them in a lot of three and outs. I mean, uh, I believe the Jaguars are going to get it done. Now, defensively, they're still solid. They've got, they've got some pass rushes against them. 
they got some pass rushing to get after the quarterback. So um, offensive line is going to have to be stellar and give Trevor the time to make those deep throws down the field. So, but but I feel good about this game. I feel good about this game, and um, I, I believe the Jaguars will win. Leon, leave us with this. We got sixty seconds. Your former teammate Fred Taylor once again made the cut to the semifinal list of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Boy, it's time to get him in the room with the final fifteen, right? I mean, I don't. I'm not going to proclaim that he's got to get in this year, but he's been in the last twenty-five now a couple of years, and he always fails to make it to the final fifteen. To me, that's ludicrous. He's got to. He's <clears throat> definitely deserving to get in that room to get discussed this year. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and, and I'm going to be biased because I played with the guy, and I know how. I know how devastating a runner he was how electric he was on that football field and all you got to do if you're if, the, if you're one of the selectees all you got to do is put on the film put on the film with freddie t freddie i mean his his jump cuts his 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 being able to um outrun linebackers and safeties and corners and all that kind of stuff man it, it's just I mean, his, his his ability to run in between the tackles and, and, and get tough yardage. I mean, everything about him says Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, the, the knock on him is is the one Pro Bowl. But, they, you know, you, you look at the market that we was in and all the running backs that he had to go up against. I mean, he didn't get the, he didn't get the necessary attention that he, he rightfully deserved. But I mean, he's he's unquestionably a Hall of Famer in my in my book. I played with him. I remember the first time he came in his rookie year, and we had a scrimmage inside the stadium against our defense, and we ran the thirty six zone. And he cut it back, and the in the in the linebacker, the safety in the corner had a had an angle on him, and he ran past him. And I remember looking at Baselli saying, "Oh my God, we got one." <laughs> That's awesome. That's great memories. And I hope finally he at least gets in the room again, makes it to the cut to the final 15. Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowler for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, appreciate it, my friend. We'll do it again next week. You got it, bro. There you go. Leon Searcy always with us here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, I'm going to have Aaron Beasley on tomorrow night. I'm going to ask him the same question about Freddie T., he did make the list again. I think it's three or four years in a row now. He's in the semifinal list, the final 25. Now, what they do, again, is they recut it from 25 to 15. And those are the 15 that you discuss in the room and ultimately get to the class of, of five uh, deserving Hall of Famers. I'm not saying for Fred Taylor to go from 25 to end the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. But it's the same thing that happened with Baselli. You got to get in the room. You got to get to the 15. When you're a semifinalist four years in a row and you keep getting cut from the 25 to the 15, at some point you got to get in that room. And I think this year, at worst, Freddie T's got to get in that room to the final 15 list to be able to be discussed for his potential placement there and join Tony Baselli in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. We have a good old fashioned shootout. On our hands right now, Thursday night football. Dallas started with a field goal. Then Geno Smith to DK Metcalf for a 73-yard touchdown. Seattle took a 7-3 lead. And Dallas, just moments ago, Dak Prescott, fantasy points Denmark to CeeDee Lamb 
Dallas back up 10-7, about five minutes to go in the first quarter. Again, both of these teams played on Thanksgiving, so they've had a full seven days off, a full week. Probably a must-win for Seattle. They come in at 6-5, and and their playoff hopes fading. If Dallas wants any chance at the division, they probably have to win out. They're two games back of Philadelphia, and they have one more game against Philadelphia. But it is a critical game for both teams, and we're off to a nice start. Five minutes to go, quarter one. Dallas up 10-7. More in the NFL coming up in just a bit. We'll head to Cincinnati. My guy Jay Morrison, Pro Football Network, has covered the Bengals for years. We'll get the Cincinnati side of this matchup on Monday night. But coming up next, 24 hours from now on 10:10 a.m., you will hear a state semifinal in the world of high school football. The Bulls Bulldogs will travel all the way down to Miami to take on Miami Norwin. Miami Norwin, here's all you need to know about them. They have six defensive linemen. Not six guys on their team, but six defensive linemen that have been offered by Power 5 programs. They are a top 15 team in America. It's a tall uh, tall job for the Bulls Bulldogs, but that's why they play the games. Matthew Toblin, the head coach of Bulls, joins us next to preview that state semifinal. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida, right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The state Final Four for all the given classifications in the Florida high school football playoffs is this Friday night. We have five teams remaining in Northeast Florida, including one that you hear every night on Friday nights here on 1010XL, the Bulls Bulldogs. They are on another state semifinal as they will head to Miami to take on Norwin. With that, Matthew Toblin of Bowles here with us on 1010XL. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We uh, got a tall task in front of us, but we're excited for the opportunity. Coach, what a year it's been. 0-3 seems like a lifetime ago. From 0-3 to now a state final four, just talk about the journey that 2023 has been for your football team. Well, and I think, you know, I'm extremely proud of our kids for how they handled uh, the adversity. But also, I think that, you know, our kids are smart enough to understand kind of who we are, wh- what our goals are, and what we're trying to do as we go throughout the regular season. And, yeah, I mean, we, we, we dropped those first three games of the season. But, like, the, the first four opponents, they're all still playing. Uh, but uh, we opened the season one and three, and every single one of those teams is in the Final Four. Um, and that – uh, that's our goal uh, to play final four quality opponents as, as much as we can so that we're ready when we walk into a game in, uh, in December against uh, the 12th or whatever best team in the country uh, in Miami, New Orleans. And that, you know, it's not a shock. Like we've seen teams like this before. We've seen uh, not quite like this, but we've seen teams that, of, that, of similar caliber. Coach, let's rewind back last week. That Bishop Moore team in Orlando, they were a thorn in the side of Jacksonville. They beat Bishop Kenny in the regular season. They knocked out Ed White. They came up here and beat a good Riverside team. I mean, that was a good team that you played on Friday. And, man, alive, you guys jumped on them really early and didn't let them off the mat. No, we did. And, I, and like, our kids came, you know, really, really, really prepared. And I think, you know, that's – you know, styles make fights. And that uh, they're, they're – they're, 
their way to their plan to win games is to out execute not physical people and that uh that is uh that that's kind of our plan to win and that um when it, when a team comes with 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 that plan uh we feel like we th- those are those are games we should be able to jump on people and that uh we came out really well on offense and defense and then obviously dj made some big throws uh and our receivers gave up some catches they tried to they try to load the box and make us make us make us throw it around. And this year, like we were, we were able to do that. And so it was, it was, it was big by everybody. Matt Toblin of Bowles State Final Four coming up Friday night. You'll hear it on ten ten XL. All right, Coach. The five teams remaining before we get to your game in particular. What does that say about Northeast Florida? You, Trinity, Mandarin, Bradford, and Saint Aug, all still alive and playing in a State Final Four in your classification. Speaks to the volume, right, of talent in Northeast Florida. No, it, the ball up here is is really, really, really good, and that uh, as you kind of expand out to different areas, you really get to see that. I think when we start playing those Orlando area teams, we start playing some of the Panhandle teams. Like, and it's not just the five that are left. I mean, Bartram going on the road and beating uh, beating two Panhandle teams. I think the the the, the quality of ball, the, the quality of coaching up here has has really grown. Uh, over the last couple of years, and that uh, it's exciting to watch. Coach, long bus rides you're accustomed to at Bowls this time of year. You guys are certainly not strangers to this, but what are the challenges about making a five-and-a-half-hour, six-hour drive down to Miami on Friday? So and I think it's, it's breaking it up and, and managing it, but you're, you're right. I mean, we've, we've made some trips. Uh, that's part of what we do. It's part of our preparation. So, um, you know, the – we, we feel like we do a pretty good job. And so we'll, we'll leave early in the morning. And when we get out there, we'll, we'll break it up. We'll stop. We'll move around. We'll try to do a walkthrough at somebody else's place. And so we'll probably stop three times along the way and get there early, get the bus right off of us and, 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 and try to move around and just eat healthy and take care of our bodies. And so uh, I think, you know, obviously it's a huge advantage to be able to play at home and, and not have to make that trip. Uh, but we've done it enough, you know, trips up to Georgia, trips down to Tampa, where uh, we're, we're, we feel prepared for it. Coach, let's talk about Miami Norwin. Obviously, you, you know they're good. You know they're highly ranked nationally. What makes them the team that they are? So, I mean, I think there are times where we play uh, teams from down in Miami that have a lot of talent, but they kind of they, they don't they don't play super hard and it gives us a chance to, to stick around. That is not this team that this is a violent team that is out to prove something um, that they do a really good job. And I think a huge part of that is, is like, look, last year they went nine and three the year before that they were 500 and they've got a lot of kids on that in that program and the coaching staff that are super, super hungry. Um, but they have ways of talent. Um, they, they play four down linemen and they have on defense and they have six of them with BCS offers. So they're, they're subbing in BCS quality linemen that are fighting to get playing time. Uh, and that, um, you know, it'll be a, it'll, it'll be a tall task, but I think that's the goal of every team is to get into a game that you're not supposed to win and say like, look, whatever, like, let me, let's see what happens. And that we're good enough where if we can go out and execute and make it a game and, and, and try to hang close, then, we give ourselves a give ourselves a chance, but they are uh, they are talented, they are well coached, and they are they are a violent group. Final moments here with Matt Toblin. I remember a time, Coach, where there was a Ponte Vedra football team that was playing a team called Plantation American Heritage. They had two starting corners named Tyson Campbell and Pat Sertan, and they had countless other BCS guys on their front lines of scrimmage. 
And Pontevedra darn near beat that team. I think it was like 33-31, and one was a great state championship game. You were the coach of that Pontevedra team. So, obviously, games like this you have experience in, and it doesn't scare you to play a team like this. No, a scare is not the right word, and it's a, we're gonna we're gonna use it as a challenge. Like there's no there's no there's no fear. Like this is an awesome opportunity, and it, and it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. We look back, and I think that American Heritage game, like we're still frustrated that we ran out of time and couldn't find a way to win it. But like, you know, four years later, when five of those kids are drafted in the first round in, in the draft, like American Heritage has more first round draft picks than any college team in that in that draft. Uh, that it, it's awesome. And this is going to be one of those teams that we're going to look back and we're going to be like this, you know, that collection of talent and the opportunity for us to go toe to toe. And, um, and then we'll, we'll see what happens that, that we, we have a saying respect all fear, none. And we have a lot of respect for what they do, but like, we're going to go out and we're going to play ball and that we're going to, we're going to challenge and we're going to go for it. And we're going to, uh, we're going to do everything we can to, 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 to win the game. Coach, leave us with this. What are the keys to victory on Friday night? What needs to happen for you guys to be playing for a state title next week? That we have to we have to play within ourselves. I think that when you get into games like this, like our best players have to understand they don't need to do something like outlandish. They don't need to try to take over. They don't need to try to do something outside of what they're supposed to do. That we just need to play extremely well, execute, and I'll be honest, and like and the ball needs to bounce our way. Like we're gonna have to get some breaks. And that um, if we do that and we hang around and as the game goes on, like they're supposed to, they're supposed to kill us. And that, you know, if you hang around late, hopefully emotions and stress starts to get, it starts to, starts to be a factor. Uh, But they are a a really, really good football team. And uh, we're going to have to play really well and, 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 and have the ball bounce our way a couple of times. But again, it's the kind of game you want to be in. Like you want to be in a game against a team like this, that, that, that really no one's going to give you a chance to beat and, See if you can fight your fight your way out of it and 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 make a make something happen. Bulls Miami Norwin on Friday night in Miami. You'll hear it on ten ten XL. The winner will be playing for a state championship there in the two M classification. Matt Tobin of Bulls, coach. Best of luck. Go down there, get a W. We hope we're talking to you next week. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hacker after dark on ten ten XL. Halftime here on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. We'll take you up till 10 o'clock tonight. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. At the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, you realize we're at the quarter pole of the NBA season already? That's hard to believe. Most teams are at the 18-19 game mark. So we're basically at the quarter pole of the year. Brian Toporek of Bleacher Report and Forbes. He's one of our guys when it comes to the NBA with the in-season tournament. It was a major success. I I don't particularly care for it. I guess it can grow on me, but eight teams advanced uh, to next week's quarterfinal. Again, the winning team, I think it's $500,000, which is nice. And obviously the NBA looking to stir up some interest early in their year before a lot of sports fans start flocking over to them after Christmas Day. So by all indications, it's been a success. I'm along for the ride, whatever. So we'll talk to Brian about that. I want to talk to him about the Orlando Magic, man. 13-5, and our friends down in Central Florida. Eight-game winning streak, one game shy of the longest winning streak in franchise history. I talked a little bit about this on Monday, the parallels between the Jaguars and the Magic. Two teams that, quite frankly, have been awful for the better part of a decade plus, 
two teams that are separated by 120 miles, two teams, despite being awful, that have had passionate, loyal fan bases, as passionate as we are here in Jacksonville, that arena has been full in Orlando despite losing season after losing season. And now all of a sudden here in 2023, both teams are getting up off the mat. They're no longer a punching bag with Jacksonville, with Trevor Lawrence and ETN and the young nucleus here, Orlando with Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner and the young nucleus there. So a lot of parallels between the Magic and the Jaguars. We'll talk with Brian Tapork about all of that from Bleacher Report and Forbes. That comes up at the bottom of the hour. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, my guy Jay Morrison, Pro Football Network covering the Cincinnati Bengals. He's covered the Bengals for years. We'll get the Cincinnati side of this matchup on Monday evening. Quickly, Denmark, tomorrow night, we're going to be on during all the state semifinal games. The five teams that are left, Mandarin is on the road, Trinity is on the road, Bowles is on the road. The two games locally, St. Augustine is at home, Bradford out in Stark is at home. How many of our five advance to a state final next week? It's tough to say because I... I haven't. Uh, I don't know all the teams well that they're playing, but I would say it would be success if three of the teams, three of the five, win tomorrow. I think if three win, it's an overwhelming success. I think if none of them win, it's a fail. I think if one of them win, it's a disappointment. I'm expecting two of the five to advance. Anything three or more, it's a great night in Northeast Florida. Look, Bowles is playing a team that's ranked in the top 15 in the country. All right, that's the reality of the situation. That's going to be a very tough game. Mandarin's got to make a four-and-a-half-hour drive to Calvin Ridley's alma mater. Odds are that's going to be tough. Trinity's got to go to Clearwater. That's not an easy drive. They're always good. Bradford gets Pensacola Catholic, a good team, but I expect Bradford might have the best chance of winning of anybody. And then I don't know much about Fort Myers-Dunbar, only they're always in the playoffs. And they're the team that plays St. Augustine tomorrow night. Yeah, and I mean, remember last year, no teams in our area made the state title game, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, if any of them make it, it'd be you know, it'd be good, and hopefully one of them can, uh, can bring it home. Touchdown for the Dallas Cowboys. Another touchdown pass by Dak Prescott. Dallas 17-7 over Seattle, 11-37 to go in the second quarter. Coming up next, let's go to Cincinnati. My man Jay Morrison's covered the Bengals for years. He's with Pro Football Network. What about Jake Browning? What's T. Higgins' status? How is Cincinnati looking at this game on Monday night, traveling to Jacksonville? They're very aware this is the first Monday night football game in 12 years here in Duval County. And what about the Taylor Bowl, right? Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville, playing his brother, Zach Taylor, the head football coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. A lot of things to discuss. We'll go to Cincinnati. We'll talk to Jay Morrison next on a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Bengals, Monday night, first time Monday night football, will be here in Duval County in 12 years, if you can believe that. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL as the Jaguars come in at 8-3 and and a very desperate Cincinnati Bengal football team will come in 
at 5-6. and six. With that, our guy up in Cincinnati is Jay Morrison. You can catch him at Pro Football Network, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jay, how you doing? Doing great. I wish I was in Jacksonville right now. It's in the 20s today in Cincinnati. <laughs> well, we're having a cold front here, Jay. It's about 55 in Jacksonville. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's chilly for us here even. All right, it's been very chilly for Cincinnati. They were my Super Bowl pick coming into the year, Jay, and it didn't get off to a great start. You thought they righted the ship, and then wham, the Joe Burrow injury. Just take us through the emotions in Baltimore a couple of weeks ago of what that did to this team and that franchise. Yeah, it was pretty deflating, and you know, not just for their chances, but uh, you know, Burrow's so well-respected and liked in that locker room, and it was obvious how devastating this is to him. So people feel for him, but then they also feel for what – with their own lost opportunity. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear at this point that, that the, the playoff hopes are on life support and uh, it's, it's a position this team hasn't been in, in in a long time. There are guys in this locker room that were around in, in the lean years and they've been used to this, but so many of these people they've drafted in recent years and the free agents they've signed, this is, it's kind of new territory for them. So they're kind of trying to sort it out and, and figuring out, how they fight through this and, and try to stay together and, and make something of the rest of the season. Admittedly, this is not a fair comment or question, I guess, but it's the narrative out there. I mean, is, is there a concern in Cincy that as great as Joe Burrow is, he's a guy that, that's going to get injured on you? Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder about that, but it's it's so there, there's so many of the, the injuries he's had. Everybody points at all the, the hits and the sacks he's taken, but – you know, you're, you're talking about a calf injury that was non-contact in training camp. You're talking about an appendix. Um, there, there's just been so many fluky things that happened. And even this, the wrist, it was just a, a case where Jadavian Clowney landed right on the wrist after taking him down. Um, I, I think that's always going to be part of the narrative is, is he taking too much punishment? Um, but the, the nature of some of these injuries, I mean, obviously the ACL is the product of a bad offensive line and him getting hit his rookie year but 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 since then it's just I don't know maybe more of a more, I don't believe in jinxes but it, it does feel kind of more of a like a guy that's just jinxed as opposed to injury prone or just beat up over and over again Jay Morrison is our guy up in Cincinnati he covers the Bengals for pro football network and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville Jay the show goes on and it goes on with Jake Browning Remember him from Washington. He was a very good college quarterback. He started last week against Pittsburgh. Uh, statistically, it wasn't terrible, yet they didn't put a lot of points on the board. How would you assess his start last week? Yeah, I mean, talk about being thrown into the fire. He, he has to play the second half at Baltimore, and then his first career start is against Pittsburgh. That's two of the best defenses in the league, and, and Jacksonville's right up there, too, so it doesn't get any easier, but... He, he that loss was not on Jake Browning. And, you know, I say that where the the key play in that game that led to the loss was on Jake Browning. He made a, a really bad he, he locked in on a pre snap read and and made a really bad interception in the in the red zone. And if he doesn't make that throw, well, I think we're talking the, the narrative is different this week. You're, you're talking about them maybe pulling out a win and, and still having a little bit of hope. But um, that loss, Jake Browning. He, they weren't able to lean on some of the things he does best. He's really good 
uh, getting out of the pocket, making making throws on the run, taking off and running. They they just were not going to run quarterback draws with him, and and even the naked bootlegs is a a big part of of what they like to do with him. And you're just not going to do that with T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith sitting out there on the edge waiting for those kind of things. So they were a little limited in what they could do. Um, I think you'll see them open it up a little bit more against Jacksonville and. Um, I, you know, Zach Taylor, the head coach was, he, he was more pleased with, with what Jake Browning did than, you know, critical just based on that one interception. He, he played pretty well. He handled things pretty well. Just a, a tough assignment against a really good Pittsburgh defense. Jay, what kind of player is Browning for the Jaguar fans listening that maybe didn't stay up and watch Pac-12 after dark like I did all those Saturday nights? I mean, what kind of guy are they going to see for the quarterback for the Bengals on Monday night? Yeah, supremely confident. Um, he 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 knows this offense inside and out. They are not dumbing down the playbook for him at all. He's he's been on the practice squad the last two seasons. He fought, beat out Trevor Simeon for the backup job this year. So he's he's not quite the same quarterback he was in Washington because he he saw the writing on the wall. He came in the league and he 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 called it a life sentence on the practice squad. And and last year he was. He was on the verge of reaching out to coaches and thinking about getting into to coaching. He tried to, he decided to give it one more year. He he got with with Joe Burrow's um, throwing coach and Jordan Palmer and and really worked on mechanics and and arm strength and he he throws the ball better now. He's got more velocity. He's not anywhere close to Joe Burrow. Don't mistake that. But he is a a really I don't know if you want to say elusive. He's just he moves in the pocket really where really well. Joe Burrow kind of had that feel where you could kind of slide and move. Jake Browning is on the run. He is getting away from people and and tucking it and taking off and running. He had 40 yards alone in that second half at Baltimore on scrambles. So he, he's a guy that the, the other thing that you should note is in that Baltimore game, Jake Browning averaged 10.6 yards per attempt or air, air yards per attempt. Joe Burrow had never done that in any game since coming into the NFL, even in 2021 when they were throwing all those bombs to Jamar Chase. So he's not afraid to air it out. He's not afraid to take chances, and um, it, it, it could be good and bad. It, it's, it's a high-risk, high-reward kind of uh, process to go through with a young quarterback like that. But they are not going to turtle up and, and just kind of lean on the run and, and try to survive this game. They're going to try to attack the Jaguars with Jake Brown. Jaguars and the Bengals Monday night here in Jacksonville. You'll hear it right here on 1010XL. Jay Morrison, Pro Football Network, covers Cincinnati. He's with us here on 1010XL. All right, you know, you mentioned the skill talent around Browning. I've been cautioning Jaguar fans all week, Jake, or I'm sorry, Jay, about Jake Browning and the Bengals coming in here. They are a desperate football team at five and six, right? And they have a lot of talent, man, with Jamar Chase and Boyd and Mixon. I don't think we know Higgins' status yet, although maybe he's trending towards playing on Monday night. But with all that talent, and if Browning can just be functional with the ball, boy, the Jaguars, to me, are going to have to be awfully careful here. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I, I, I do think that we're, there's a good chance we see T. Higgins, and then you're, you're talking about him having his full complement of weapons, and that, that offense is different when, when T's not in there. Teams already throw a lot of coverage at Jamar. Uh, it's even more so when T. Higgins isn't playing. And, you know, he's you see this all the time when, when backups come in. He's got a really good connection with Trent Irwin, who will, who will be one of those receivers that's on the field a lot if T. doesn't play. He's got a really good connection with Tanner Hudson, the tight end, from their days on the practice squad. So 
the the main the pass game will not be the issue. It's a matter of they can get this run game going. They had a really good plan against Baltimore, and, and Joe Mixon ran the ball really well last week against Pittsburgh. Eight carries for 16 yards as a team. 11 carries were 25 yards with Browning having three scrambles. Only once in franchise history, and this franchise started in 1968, have the Bengals had fewer rushing attempts than they did last week against the Steelers. If they know they messed up. Uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna try to make the run game part of Jake Browning's um, make it a good friend of Jake Browning because you can't just let him drop back and throw over and over again against a quality defense like Jackson. Bengal defense is very good with Hendrickson. Uh, do we know Hubbard's status for Monday night yet? Yeah, he's good. He played last week and went the whole game, so he's good to go. I mean, you got Hendrickson, you got Hubbard, you got really good players, Logan Wilson as well, obviously. But a lot's on that plate now for that Cincy defense, knowing they're going to have to pick up their offense. Yeah, and this is an uncharacteristic uh, year for this defense. I mean, Lou Anarumo, the defense coordinator, doesn't like playing rookies, and his his hand's been forced. The second round rookie second round pick DJ Turner started seven straight games at cornerback. Uh, rookie third round pick Jordan Battle start what made his first career start last week. Um, they're they're just they they've been kind of forced into this after losing Von Bell and Jesse Bates in, in free agency, and it's showing up in the form of explosive plays. This team is still really good in the red zone when the field gets tight and, and they they find ways to get stops down there and get a lot of turnovers in the red zone. We saw it. Uh, where they knocked the ball out from Jalen Warren last week against Pittsburgh. But in the middle of the field, they are really susceptible to to big runs on cutbacks and and big shots either up the middle of the field to tight ends or even when the, the when they, they've been playing a lot more press coverage. And those young corners, they make splash plays, but, but they get beat from time to time too. Final moments, Jay Morrison, Pro Football Network, covering the Cincinnati Bengals. As far as what Cincinnati opinion on Jacksonville is, Jay, you, your colleagues up there, obviously the game is still a couple of days away. The Jaguars coming off that big win over Houston. I mean, how are the Jaguars viewed coming into this game on Monday night? If you ask me, I, I think they look a lot like last year's Bengals team. Last year's Bengals team kind of got off to a, you know, they, they had the success coming off the Super Bowl, and then they stumbled a little bit. They were 5-4, and four, got their butts kicked on the road in the middle of the season at Cleveland and then didn't lose again. And you look at this Jacksonville team, you know, they, they had that surprising loss to Houston early. They got their, their butts kicked in San Francisco, and now it looks like they found themselves and they're playing really well. And I, I could see this Jacksonville team going on a similar run and, and, and really kind of taking off. I think everybody kind of felt it last year. They were a, kind of a sleeper, sleeper pick to go really deep this year after the success they had. And Trevor Lawrence is only getting better, and they put some weapons around him. Calvin Ridley's playing terrific. So, yeah, this is a – you can't look at history. Um, this is a, a – this is one of the best teams – in the AFC, and, and I think they're only going to get better as we get closer to the playoffs. Look, 75% of that Cincinnati roster, Jay, as you alluded to, have played in humongous games, primetime yeah. games, playoff games. Jake Browning hasn't started one of these, and you mentioned the young guys in the secondary. I can tell you, it's the first Monday night football game in 12 years here in Jacksonville. you got to go back to 2011 till the last time the Jaguars run Monday night. Everbank Stadium is going to be an insane asylum. Uh, how do you believe Jake Browning will be able to respond to that at least early on in the game? Yeah, I don't think it'll be too big for him because if you remember the the game that Burrow got hurt where he came in at halftime, that was a primetime game at Baltimore. That was about as difficult of an environment as, as you could get. Uh, I, I don't 
you, you look at the team as a whole. You, you want to talk about history in primetime? The Bengals have not. They've lost 15 straight games, 15 straight road games in primetime. Um, the last time they won one was 2012 on a Thursday night in Philadelphia. So wow, I had no idea. Is, That's yeah, crazy. It's, yeah, it, it's almost unbelievable. Um, and, and so, and it, you know, it happened again. That was the big talking point going into the Baltimore game is when are they going to win one of these games in primetime? And then the Burrow gets hurt, and that becomes the overriding story. But here we are two weeks later, back on the road. They're playing in primetime, trying to break an, break an incredible streak. All right, Jay, give yourself a little bit of love. Pro Football Network, you do a terrific job covering the Bengals. I know you got a Bengals podcast there at PFN as well. Yeah, the, the PFN Bengals podcast. We just uh, recorded uh, this week's episode today. It comes out on Tuesdays in audio form. It's on YouTube on Wednesdays. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe Jaguar fans aren't too interested in the Bengals on weeks that they're not playing the Bengals. But over at Pro Football Network, we have all kinds of betting content, all kinds of fantasy content, uh, every team covered. So, uh, there's a lot there, and it, it's all free, and would love to have anybody check it out. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Pro Football Network. We have Dalton Miller on quite a bit. They're really expanding yeah. there at PFN. Jay Morrison is a big part of that, covering the Cincinnati Bengals. Jay, I know you're busy, man. Thank you, as always, for the time, and I guess we'll see you down here on Monday night. Sounds great. Thanks, Ryan. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. You know, don't look now, but we're about to hit the quarter point of the NBA season. Most teams are approaching the 20-game mark as Christmas Day approaches. That's when a lot of people will get into the NBA, but me, I'm a diehard, man. I've been here since Halloween, and you see what the Orlando Magic are doing just to the south of us. Wow, 12-5, and five, their best start in over a decade. Let's talk about all of it with my friend Brian Deport. He does a great job covering the NBA for both Bleacher Report and Forbes, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Brian, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. You and I have talked for a couple of years now, and I'm always you know, sulking about my Orlando magic and things aren't going our way and when will they ever turn the corner? Brian, it's only been, you know, 17, 18 games. I mean, I get it, but good grief. You could argue they're the biggest surprise in the league right now. Yeah, they're certainly up there. And, you know, I, I've been hinting that this was coming. I've been urging patience from Magic fans because you could see the foundation there in place, especially last year. You know, they got off to such a slow start, but we're really pretty good uh, for the last like 50 games of the season. And now, you know, because they have so many young players, you can realistically bank on internal improvement, especially from, you know, a guy like Paolo Moncaro, who was really, really good as a rookie, started a little slow this season, but has certainly got his feet under him in recent weeks. The same goes for Franz Wagner. Uh, and, you know, the scary thing is that they've only had Wendell Carter Jr. for five games this year who, you know, going into the season, you probably would have said is their third best player. So the fact they're off to this incredible start, despite not having him, you know, it only begs the question, what happens when he comes back? Yeah, you know, you got that, and Markel Fultz hasn't played yeah. in the last, like, 10 or so games. So both Fultz and Carter have missed an awful lot of time. You know, you talk about Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner. And again, I'm not going to try to homer up here. I'm going to try to take my my blue glasses off, my Orlando Magic goggles off for a second. But you talk about two guys on the same team, both 24 years or younger. Man, Paolo and Franz got to be one of the best duos in the league if you talk about the young players in this game. 
Yeah, they're certainly up there. And, and you would expect that from Paolo, being that he's the number one overall pick. But, I mean, Franz has already cemented himself as one of the biggest steals from that draft. You know, Chicago Bulls fans in particular are lamenting the fact that they could have both Wagner and uh, Carter Jr. still on their team. Uh, you know, those two guys just fit so well together, and it kind of fits into the archetype that the Orlando front office, dating back to their time in Milwaukee, they tend to go for these long, lanky athletes who can also defend well and be somewhat interchangeable. So now having those two paired with Jalen Suggs, who, you know, especially after his rookie season, I know there was some concern that he wasn't going to quite live up to the draft day hype. This year, we're finally seeing, oh, okay, this is why this kid was a top five pick, too, because he's such a good defender, and he's starting to find his own offensively as well. So, you know, you mentioned Fultz being out. And, of course, like, Markel Fultz is a great player. When he comes back, the Magic should only be better. But I think one silver lining of his absence is that Suggs has moved into the starting point guard role and has really flourished. And I think that actually raises some interesting questions for Orlando moving forward. Brian Teporg, Bleacher Report and Forbes covering the NBA. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Orlando has two guys that if they're on your team, you'll love them. And if they're not on your team, you hate them. And that's Cole Anthony and Mo Wagner. Both guys right now would be in the running for sixth man of the year. Mo Wagner signed a 10-day contract in Orlando two years ago. Nobody wanted him. He was on the street. Nobody wanted him. And I don't know if it's the chemistry with he and his brother and, and, and how, how that's working out for him, but Mo Wagner might be one of the best backup big men in the entire league right now. Yeah, he's been awesome. And Cole Anthony, I mean, you nailed it, should be right in that six-man-of-the-year conversation. He's been really good as well, and they got him uh, back on a pretty reasonable contract heading into this season. So you know, I think the Magic are in really good shape both short and long-term, and you know now they're in the somewhat dangerous part of what I would say is the typical rebuilding timeline is, you know, first you have to get your star guys or one or two star guys, which I think they've achieved with Paolo and Franz. And now it's trying to figure out how to build best around them and how to capitalize on all of the assets they've accumulated. And, you know, right now Franz and Paolo are both on rookie contracts. The magic are also projected to have a ton of cap space this summer if they want to go that route. So they'll have a lot of flexibility, but now the big thing you know, continue to evaluate what they have on this roster and where their biggest needs are moving forward and then how to fill those gaps within the next year or two while they still have all these other guys under contract and still use them as salary filler in trades. And before, you know, Franz and Paolo get off of these rookie contracts, probably sign either max or near max contracts, and a lot of that flexibility starts to dry up. You know, last thought on Orlando, because I want to branch out around the league in the time we have left with you, but I remember a time when Dwight Howard got injured in Orlando, and there was a guy that came in named Marcin Gortat, and nobody had any idea who this guy was, but he turned out to be a pretty good player, and he went on to have a very good career. Now, I'm not saying Wendell Carter Jr. is Dwight Howard, although if he ever stays healthy, he might be, but Wendell Carter Jr. gets hurt. And this guy, Goga Batazzi, comes in, all right? <laughs> and I had not a clue who this guy was before the Magic signed him last year. Is Goga Batazzi the new Marchin Gortat? I mean, when Carter comes <laughs> back, that's going to be a pretty nice one-two combo. 
Yeah, yeah, he's been probably one of the biggest surprises of the summer, really, of the season, because I, I think you're right. Absolutely no one had real expectations for him. He never really got a chance. Uh, and, you know, he was buried behind Miles um, Turner and Sabonis in Indiana, so he just never really had a chance to show what he could do. And, you know, Orlando took a flyer on him because he was a first-round pick not that long ago, a mid-first-round pick, and he's he's flourishing in this system. So that's been that's been really cool to see. And, again, it, it just kind of goes to show that Orlando's got the pieces in place right now to be pretty interesting. Now it's just figure out how to continue building on this. You know, look, if you're a Laker fan or a Celtics fan or whatever, 17 games, 18 games means nothing, Brian. I'm on cloud nine right now. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> 12 and 5 is insane based on where this team has been for the better part of the last 15 years. And uh, there's a lot of excitement, not only in Central Florida, but kind of up here in Jacksonville for this team as well. Yeah, there there absolutely should be. Like I, I think it's fair to say Orlando has a very bright future ahead. And I'm certainly intrigued to see you know, what their next big move is because it feels like you know, whoever the next big star on the market, they've got to be kind of choosy, right? Like they can't just go after whoever it is. Like, let's say a Pascal Siakam, or we know Zach Levine of the Bulls is open to being moved. The Bulls are open to moving him. You know, you could argue that Zach Levine would make sense for Orlando, but you could also argue that maybe they need to keep their powder dry and have their eye on an even bigger target, whoever that might be. Let's branch out to the rest of the league in the time we have left. Again, Brian Deport of Bleach Report here with us on 1010XL. The offseason moves, right? We really haven't seen Phoenix with Brad Beal because they've had so many injury problems. We've seen Boston, right, with Porzingis and, and Holiday, and they've looked good. Um, Harden, that does not appear to be working <laughs> with the Clippers. No real uh, you know, idea why they thought that would work. What's been your thought about the big Damian Willard, I guess, in Milwaukee? How would you assess the new guys in these new places so far? Yeah, I mean, Boston's been awesome. I think they've been the best team in the NBA so far. They're certainly right there with Denver as the biggest threats to win this year. You know, Milwaukee's 12-5, and so on the surface, everything seems fine. Uh, They haven't looked as cohesive yet as I would have expected. I know they've had some defensive issues in particular which you would expect when you go from drew holiday one of the best uh on ball defenders in the league to damian lillard who is certainly not that um you know they're fourth in points per game sixth in offensive rating so again like everything seems fine on paper but they haven't the dame Giannis combo hasn't been as seamless of a fit as i expected so that's just Something I'm keeping my eye on, especially with Chris Middleton. You know, he recently left a game with some Achilles soreness. He's only averaging less than 20 minutes per game this year and had some health issues throughout last season as well. So if Middleton is not, you know, a 30, 35 minute per game player and looks like himself by the playoffs, I think Milwaukee is probably one piece short. Uh, when it comes to, you know, matching up with a Boston or a Denver or a Phoenix. You know, as you said, Phoenix, we can't really evaluate because we just haven't seen the big three together. But then again, this was the concern with pairing Bradley Beal, especially with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, is that all three of those guys 
have missed time in recent years, Beal in particular. So hopefully we get to see them at full strength. But you know, since Booker has come back, they haven't really missed a step. And yeah, I mean, let me tell you, the thing, when I woke up this morning, I did not expect to see the Clippers at full strength having lost to the Denver Nuggets last night without Jokic, Jamal Murray, or Aaron Gordon. But man, that is, I, I haven't watched the game, so I don't know exactly what happened there. I saw Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan as huge games, which is just hilarious uh, in the year 2023. But yeah, I think it's it's fair to say the Harden acquisition is not panning out uh, for the Clippers as quite intended. And as someone who covers the Sixers, I am just kicking back and enjoying watching the train wreck unfold. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the first 20 games. Let's go Western Conference first. All right, the quarter poll of the year. Um, it's a sample size, but we're getting there, right? We're 25% yeah. of the way home, roughly. Top three teams in the West right now. Yeah, I mean, Denver, I think, has to be up there. Um, we, You know, Jamal Murray's missed most of the season at this point, but it sounds like he'll be back Pretty soon. I think, again, Phoenix, you just want to bank on the top end talent if they can all get healthy at some point. You know, Minnesota has looked really good so far. They're atop the West at 12 and 4. Rudy Gobert looks revitalized. Anthony Edwards is just continuing to build on this superstar turn that we've seen from him over the last year. And Carl Anthony Towns started slow, but has really seemed to find his way in recent weeks. So I think. There are some concerns about their viability in the playoffs, but I think they're certainly a very good regular season team, if nothing else. And I would put the Sacramento Kings. I know they're sixth right now in the standings, but Deer and Fox missed some time, which caused them to get off to a slow start. Since Fox came back, I mean, he has been absolutely sensational, building on the breakout campaign he had last year. So I would put them as my sneaky dark horse. Uh, in the top three, top four mix. Brian Tapork, Bleacher Report, and Forbes. Same question in the East. I think clearly Boston is one. Who are their two or three biggest challengers right now? Yeah, Boston's definitely one. I mean, Philly has been surprisingly good, just handed LeBron James his worst ever loss last night, apparently. Uh, you know, the upgrade from Doc Rivers to Nick Nurse, I think, went kind of under the radar this offseason just because they were dealing with the hard nonsense this whole summer but he has just totally changed the way they play I mean Joel Embiid is averaging by far a career high number of assists Tyrese Maxey has really thrived as the full-time ball handler which he you know got to do briefly a couple of years ago while Ben Simmons was holding out but he is often running with that opportunity and honestly the depth that they got in the Harden trade specifically Nick Batum and Robert Covington, like the Sixers have just not had forwards or wings all that often uh, in recent years. So it's weird to see them with, they now have like too many, uh, which means, you know, they might have a consolidation trade up their sleeve in the coming months as well. Cause I think they're probably trying to use the expiring contract of Marcus Morris in particular to, to pursue an upgrade with the assets they got in the hard trade. So that's something to keep an eye on. Now, I think by default, Milwaukee is in there, but that is a very shaky. Uh, I think Miami, uh, they got off to a slow start as well, and they've lost the last couple of games because, you know, Bam missed, Jimmy missed a game. So 
I think especially it, we, we've seen it in the past few years, no matter what their record is going into the playoffs, if they are in the playoffs, you just can't rule them out. And, you know, I think the fun thing about this season is that really in both conferences, but, you know, the East, we have Orlando and Indiana, these these young teams that have been in kind of rebuilding mode over the last couple of years. We're starting to see the rebuilds actualize. And now they are, you know, it's they're no longer the, oh, these guys are on our schedule. This should be an easy 15-point win. Like, they are legitimate challenges every night and we're seeing it with you know okc in particular in the west and houston as well in the west so you know it i would encourage anyone who has not been watching the nba so far it's off to an awesome start this year uh you know i know it's usually christmas time is when casual fans start to check in but i would i would encourage you if nothing else watch some pacers games over the next few weeks because they are uh, might be the most fun team in the NBA. They run at a super high pace, have a ton of three-point shooters, and don't play a lick of defense, which leads to just these wild shootout games every night. Yeah, Magic beat them. Magic were like 45 in that game, and Indiana yeah. started drilling threes in the second half. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it got down to like 10. I'm like, what's going on? All right, we got 60 yeah. seconds, Brian. The the tournament. We're about to get into the quarterfinals uh, within the next couple of days. How has it been received around the league? Players seem to like it. I mean, who wouldn't like a chance at an extra $500,000? And it seems to be motivating them. I know the uh, the point differential aspect seems to be the most controversial part because there's you know the unspoken rules of when a game's over, don't score with 30 seconds left. But you know for, <laughs> for the tournament, point differential matters. That's the tiebreaker to get the wild card. So I, it's been a... A fun wrinkle to see, you know, teams violate that unspoken rule uh, to pad their point differential. But otherwise, we, you know, I, I think this is subjective. This is not objective, but subjectively, it seems like teams are giving a little more effort for these in-season tournament games. Because again, why wouldn't you want a trip to Vegas and a chance at half a million dollars? I even I hated the courts at the beginning. Oh, They've yeah. even grown on me a little bit. You know, I, I don't hate them as much as I used to a couple of weeks ago. But it's been fun. It's a wrinkle. We'll see what happens. I didn't think I'd like the play-in situation for the playoffs. That's kind of mm-hmm. grown on me. So I imagine the tournament will grow on me. The NBA seems to be good at doing things like that, no doubt. Brian Tapork is very good at his job, Bleacher Report and Forbes. That's why we have him on covering the NBA for us here on 1010XL. Brian, appreciate it, my friend. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for your time as always, bud. Sounds good. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And thank you to my friend Brian Tapork, Bleacher Report and Forbes covering the National Basketball Association for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway of the evening, you know, I guess it's just who I am. It's my human nature to think, all right, could this be the week the Jaguars fall flat? Could this be the week the Jaguars have a, quote, letdown against the team they should beat? But as I was driving in tonight, I got to thinking, okay, it's your first Monday night football game in 12 years. You got to go back to 2011 since the Jaguars were at home for Monday night football. You're playing against a quarterback making his first NFL start on the road in Jake Browning. You're playing against a secondary in Cincinnati that's been very, very susceptible to long gains, big plays by opposing offenses. 
and, and I'm thinking, all right, they can't have a letdown in this game. If they have a letdown in this game, then this is not the team we believe them to be. You're playing a backup quarterback. It's going to be a crazy environment. First time on Monday Night Football in 12 years. You're playing awesome right now after two great division wins. Go out there and win the football game. And and I'll give my final prediction probably tomorrow, but I'm certainly leaning Jacksonville. And quite frankly, I'm leaning Jacksonville kind of in a big way. Would this game be different if Joe Burrow was playing? Of course. But there's nothing wrong with taking a gift from the football gods every once in a while. And Joe Burrow, unfortunately, got hurt. He had surgery. He was successful. He looks to make a full recovery and be back next year. And odds are the Jaguars may see Cincinnati at some point next year. But for the here and now, you're playing a backup in Jake Browning. Take that gift from the football gods. Take advantage of it and go out there and get to 9-3 and three and let the home crowd celebrate your first home game 12 years worth on Monday night football. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Now, tomorrow night, we're back. Friday, Hacker After Dark is back. You'll have Bowls football on the AM, but we will be back on 92.5 FM as the high school season, for the most part, has run its course, and we're happy to be back with you, Hacker After Dark style, on Friday evening. We have a ton of people to thank tonight. Again, Brian Topork covering the NBA for both Bleacher Report and Forbes. I mentioned Bowles. They play Miami Norwin tomorrow night, one of the best teams in the country, quite frankly. Thank you to their head football coach, Matthew Toblin, for joining us tonight. Thank you to Jay Morrison up in Cincinnati, Pro Football Network, covering the Cincinnati Bengals. He's my guy up in Cincinnati. Look, I've done this long enough. I got guys in every market. Jay Morrison's my guy when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals and appreciated his perspective, the Cincinnati perspective, on this matchup Monday night. And my buddy Leon Searcy back in hour number one. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark, one of the best to ever do it in a Jaguar uniform, and we certainly thank Leon for taking time out for us this evening. As I said, we'll do it all over again tomorrow, beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will talk to you again tomorrow night to close out the week on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.